From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. Uh, it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. Joining me in studio, uh, fortunate to have our good friend Laura Chavez in from Chicago. Alan Moore coming back from vacation. Rich Rubino on the big screen from remote in Massachusetts. And of course, we've got Rob the Engineer behind the glass. Uh, we're going to do it. We're going to do away with the normal introductions. Usually we're a lot more bubbly than this, but. Uh, unless you've been living under the biggest rock in the world, unless you have been on some unannounced expedition to Mars, uh, and you've not heard about what happened over the weekend, I, I'm, normally I do my best to try and be a moderator. You know, try and keep the you know the questions flowing, keep the pace of the show. I, I do commentate once in a while, but this one I'm taking an executive privilege on. Um, you've obviously heard about the tragic events that happened over, uh, the weekend in El Paso, Texas, 23 year old white male drives 10 hours from the Metro Dallas area to a Walmart in El Paso, parks his car, gets out of a car with a tactical assault rifle and just starts, uh, unloading ammunition, uh, goes through the parking lot, goes into a Walmart, continues the barrage of just shooting, just senseless, mindless shooting. And at the end, 26 injured, 22 people dead. Uh, motive, race, we'll get into that here in this in this episode. We'll talk about that. Not even a full day later. I mean, just literally within hours Dayton, Ohio, a nightclub district popular with locals called the Oregon District. Young white male takes a tactical assault weapon armed with a bulletproof vest and a helmet, goes into a crowded nightclub district and starts unloading 100 rounds in there. Total number of rounds over 240. And this guy kills nine, injures about a dozen and a half. You know what? Those who listen to this show, who have listened to us from the beginning, know that whenever there is a mass shooting like this, I always try and name. We don't give the name of the assailant. We try and cover that up. We don't want to give him any more glory. But we do name the victims. I'm tired of putting the names of victims of mass shootings at the as a result of access to tactical assault rifles. I'm tired of naming names and reading names of the dead, putting them out in the ethosphere because our government can't get its head out of its ass and do something. You're, there is no logical reason why a civilian needs to own a tactical rifle. None. As a former federal law enforcement official, as a former cop, you cannot justify to me why a civilian needs legal access to a technical assault rifle. This is a piece of firearm that was designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is to kill people. 
and we are giving legal access to these weapons designed to kill people to people who want to kill not just people but lots of people for bad reasons. Now, I know I'm going to get hit up for those who listen for the Second Right Amendment. I have never said once we should take away the Second Amendment. But the last time I checked, I have not seen in recent memory somebody doing a mass shooting of 26 people and leaving 22 people dead at the hands of a 38 Smith & Wesson or a Remington 870 shotgun. Congress, this administration, this government, you have an opportunity. I would have thought that we would have taken the opportunity after Sandy Hook when we saw dead children in a school in Connecticut. I would have thought we would have taken that opportunity when we saw racism at its worst at a church in Charleston. I would have thought we would have seen it when we had dead children in a high school in South Florida, but yet they still do nothing. And it's bullshit. It is time to get your head out of your ass and show some damn cojones and move on sensible gun legislation, sensible gun legislation that Americans, 92% of Americans approve of. This thing, mental health, yeah, mental health's a problem. Don't conflict it with the fact that 90% of the people, according to many criminologists, the people that are killing people with assault reference are not mentally ill. You want to know why? Because they're standing trial and getting convicted. If they were mentally ill, if this was a mental health problem, they would be in mental health hospitals and there would be a defense. There's no defense to this. I am tired and I'm just absolutely tired of naming names after mass shootings like this. It's done. It's over. Do something, show some balls, show some some courage, some political courage, and stop having blood on your hands because you're weak. I'm done. Okay. I had to get that off my chest. It's, it's all to me. We, I, I mean, how, I, I, Alan, how many times have we talked about this subject? Many. I mean, th- th- I mean this, this show, obviously, we've got one topic and one topic. Only. It's not just gun control. We're going to be talking about everything surrounding this. But uh, this, to me, uh, was just mind-blowing. The, the, the response of the president, and we'll get into that later, but let, let's, let's talk about what happened. Um, Dan Lipner, literally, this guy, before he just unloads a tactical assault rifle on 22 innocent people at a Walmart, people, I mean, literally 22 is the people that were killed. That were killed. Not the people not, that not were shot. Not the 26 that were injured as well. But literally unloads a tactical assault weapon on people on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon that are literally shopping for school supplies. I mean, I mean that's an image that has got to scare everybody in America. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. If anything, this weekend's two shootings, mass shootings, back to back, conveniently uh, in a horrific fashion, debunk everything about. The, uh, the the arguments that um, the, for lack of a better phrase, the pro-assault weapon folks are in favor of. The first shooting was well planned out. Um, it was a soft target. And if I believe, uh, I, w- I wish I could cite to the person who said it, but are you honestly suggesting that every school, every Walmart, every Target, every mall, every every 
place where people go turn into a, quote, hardened target. This is going to be Fortress America, every place people go out or people just won't go out. For the second shooting in Ohio, the police literally responded in less than a minute and still multiple people were 34 killed. seconds. 34 seconds it took police to take down the assailant. And he still killed nine people. So the question is, what argument still stands from the assault weapons, folks? Do, does everyone need to go out in a bulletproof vest? Does everyone need to be not just doing open carry? This is in Texas, where it's the most heavily armed state in the country. Um, no, that didn't work. Uh, what, what, is, what is the answer here? What, is, what are the pro-assault weapon folks going to turn to next? You, you know, the funny thing about it is, Alan, Dan brings up a good point. You know, you talk about, you know, I, I hear the crowds of, I have my concealed carry weapons. They're very free and open carry in Texas. Uh, the concealed carry weapons people are saying, well, you know, good guys with guns will take down bad guys with guns. Where were the good guys with guns? I did not see a single one or here of any instance, and statistically, in a Walmart of three of 3,000 people and 100 staff, somebody had a concealed carry weapon. I don't hear anybody standing Actually, up Actually, it's worth noting that the police also noted, because apparently some of those concealed carries or open carries actually drew, and it actually caused trouble with the police to identify the actual oh, assailant. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, because that, that's where you get the calls of second and third assailants, but but where were they? Where were the good guys with guns, Alan? I have no idea. I mean, as as you as you both said, there were apparently some people with guns and some drew. I don't know if any shot, but it it confuses the the chaos. Um, it, it in most cases. Now, if somebody had pulled a gun and shot this guy in the first twenty seconds. There might be a different argument. That is the unusual case. It occasionally occurs, but that's not the norm. The norm is that the person bound and determined to do the the damage succeeds. Right, Lord Chavez. I mean, of mis of, of of Mexican descent. I mean, did you ever see a day coming where Mexicans would be targeted just? for being Mexicans in a place as safe as El Paso. In a place as, uh, and it is important to note that despite what the president had said previously, El Paso is actually an exceptionally safe community. It's one of the safest in it's the country. It's one of the safest in the countries. Um, I will say as, yes, a female of Latin descent, this type of feeling in the country has definitely been growing. It has definitely become evident to people who are, you know, whether you are a, a direct immigrant, a first generation like myself, or even uh, even further from the direct line, it has become very evident that people with brown skin are, even, and it doesn't have to be like dark brown skin, just any type of brown skin. It is much more common to have people who are uh, lighter than me feel very comfortable to come up to me and say things depending on what community I'm in. That said, in a place like El Paso, it really is a great community. I've been there a couple of times and... Um, a lot of the people there are bilingual, um, whether you are a McDonald's worker, a Walmart worker, a, a CEO at a company. It's kind of expected like you're going to speak functional Spanish and at least functional English. Everyone makes the effort to make the other person feel welcome. So in a place like El Paso, this was not expected in other communities in the country. This might have been something that was a little bit more um, 
not tolerated, but anticipated. Right. Maybe is the word I'm looking for. Anticipated. Um, but in a place like El Paso, it really was kind of a shock to the system. And I mean, Beto O'Rourke rushed off the campaign trail to get there. And it genuinely wasn't because he wanted to be there for campaign reasons. This was his community. He realized he represented a part of El Paso. Yes. And it is the place that he calls home. And this isn't meant to be like a a Beto O'Rourke's the greatest, but he did a great job of talking to his community to say, like, guys, this sucks. We are strong. He actually rallied the troops. And a lot of politicians, a lot of leaders in El Paso have really risen to the occasion of saying like, yes, this is terrible. We are devastated, but this will not stop us. We will continue to have a good relationship with our brothers and sisters across the border. But, but here's here's what scares me is, and, and the reason why I bring this up is I was talking to a friend of mine who is first generation Mexican in El Paso. He, he His comment to me was a comment that I've heard other people say in the media is his comment is, I, you know, I now feel hunted. This makes me feel like I, I now get up in the morning, go out. If I fly to wherever, I am now looking behind my back thinking, am I the target today? And you shouldn't have to live that way. But that's the reality of the mindset after what happened on Saturday. I mean, do you feel that way? That's been the reality of the mindset for a couple of years. Yes. Uh, Saturday definitely was a much more... I. Um, made the educated decision, mistake, whatever you want to call it, of reading the manifesto of this shooter. And it did truly kind of chill me to the core. Um, and I know you and I talked about, I'm my dad is from Mexico. My mom's actually Polish, so I'm right. half Mexican. Um, but with that, he very much says in this piece that essentially, like, if you have a drop of blood in your in your bloodstream, then you are you are subhuman. With that, I will say it's not something new. A lot of brown people have been feeling this way for a long time, but this was definitely a slap and, to the face. And, and please don't take this the wrong way. Right. I mean, I mean, you don't look Polish. I know. I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you you look Latina. And and does that? I mean, does that when you read a manifesto like that, does that concern you? Oh, absolutely. It, it yes. This when I read it, it was it shakes you to the core. It does feel very much like they are writing it to you. It's hard not to internalize something. They also feels like you're they're writing it to my sister and to my niece and to my cousins and to my uncles and my aunts. Um, but with that said, this isn't, while it is a renewed feeling, it is not a new feeling. This is something that has been going on for multiple years, whether it's additional screening while I'm getting on an airplane, despite the fact that I've got several clearances that get me through, or whether it's the fact that, you know, a couple of years ago I was walking back to my car from, you know, a, a relatively affluent area of where I live and a group of admittedly um, probably intoxicated uh, white males who were probably in their young young 20s but had been shouting happy uh, things about our current president but they cornered me while shouting, while we know you're not black, we know you're not white. And it's kind of one of those things that you like kind of scurry away as quickly as you can, because while it's just while those were just words, they never touched me. It was still an unnerving thing that definitely had me run into my secure building, lock the door, call my mom and kind of Unloved. have a bit of a moment. So, yeah. yeah, this isn't something new. This is just something that is is put back into the mainstream, has been put back into everyone's uh, line of sight. And 
while it's not a good thing, I'm glad we're talking about this. I'm glad this is something that people won't forget because odds are with this news cycle with this president, in a week, we're, this is going to be but, a Sandy Hook situation it, where— It's not just words, it's, though. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll t- the fact that you responded the way you did, and I, I don't blame you in the least, but it's not just words. These are fighting words. and when you add, when, And when you add that with actions— that's not just it's not just words that disappear no matter how often the laughing right will try and try and blow it off as oh, just kidding that wasn't the thing or no you can only say that in the panhandle um, uh, that that line. that that line which now resonates in a very special sort of way and to be clear that was the president of the United right. States response to a shout that's not from the, the first crowd time. that's not saying, the first time you shoot them and, and that was only a year the, ago, so those, he was president at the time. Exactly, and th- those words matter. And when you are, are a leader, when you are on a stage in front of thousands of people, those words are not merely words. It's not a comedy show. You're the president of the United States, or if you want to go further back to being a candidate for the presidency of the United States, your words are more than just words. Well, a- a- Alan Moore, I mean, Dan brings up a good point. Pre- president Trump started his entire campaign coming down the escalator in Trump Tower and calling Mexicans murderers and rapists. And this has been a long progression of a continuous attack on immigrants, particularly that of Latin Latin descent. Does, Does the president have, if not, if the president does not have culpability, is he at least complacent? And does he owe the American people an apology for stirring well, this up? I think the word you were looking for is complicit. complicit. Um, what did I say? Complacent? You said complacent. I meant complicit, yeah. yes. Um, well, it's worth noting his Justice Department has been complacent on going after these folks. Okay, <laughs> good point. Uh, he, he clearly feeds the fear feeds the ugliness, feeds the ignorance, and then throws up his hands and says, who, me? I don't, I don't, have, I don't have a racist bone in my body. I love that line because it, whenever you hear it, you think, oh, I think maybe so if you feel a need to say that. That's like the that people term. that say some of my best friends are blacks. So, so but I think, I think he's also got this fundamental ignorance about how most people think and i did hear someone trying to not so much defend him as explain him and they say he's a he's an equal opportunity uh attacker anybody who says anything bad about him he will fire back and he will pick on some element of their uh, of, of who they are, if they're female, if they're people of color, male, female, um, if they're Democrats, uh, if they're rich, if they're poor. It makes them a sociopath. And, no, it, it, it speaks to how he has learned from, from uh, at some point, um, uh, probably early adulthood, teenage, I don't know, where attack, 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 attack. And and don't don't hold back in any way the nature of what you say and when it's when it's when it's racial when he when he when he points at 
the 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 racial element of someone, whether it was the the the, the Mexicans sending us their 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 uh, their criminals and rapists, or when it was um, in a in a in a meeting in the White House. Um, uh, talking about about immigrants from around the world, we don't want people from those shithole countries. It, 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 he says, "No, I didn't. That wasn't racist. That was a description that many people feel about wh- what these countries are like." So he makes this claim. Um, I don't buy it. It was a long time ago on this show. I said that it really hurt me to to acknowledge and, and say that our president's a racist. It's nothing it's it's not a new conclusion on my part, but but it it, it doesn't mean that everything he says um, is is racist, but we've come to and and in fact the Democrats have got to be careful because there's such a widespread notion that he is a racist that they say everything that they, they will ascribe racism to anything that to many, many things he says that in my mind aren't. They're ugly, they're nasty, they're stupid, they're ignorant, but not necessarily racist. But so much of what he says feeds and contributes to those who do have racist tendencies and 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 white whether it be white supremacists um, or just distress and anger at at uh, the, the the large the, the huge numbers of people um, uh, showing up at our borders, um, it's yeah. it's just a right. remarkably good time for a real leader, and we don't have one. Right. We have one who <laughs> contributes to the problem. Rather right. than 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 works to bring people together. Right, Laura Chavez and Rich Rubino. Uh, I just want to uh, kind of uh, jump on one thing Alan said uh, that yes, the president is very much attack, 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 attack. Uh, sometimes it is very much like a if you say something bad about him, he will say something you know worse about you, and that and essentially the snowball falls. Uh, but one thing I do want to point out: the thing that. Uh, Latin Americans are doing that is so offensive it, to him is they're coming here seeking asylum. They're coming here looking for a better life. There isn't anything wildly offensive about that. Yes, I'm not going to say that Mexico is a great place. Clearly, my family left, you know, decades ago for a reason. You know, a lot of people are fleeing, you know, uh, gangs. They're feeling drug, fleeing gr- drug, drug cartels. They're fleeing, fleeing violence, whether it be domestic or otherwise. You know, I understand that, you know, no place is innocent, and I think the attacks here can prove that the U.S. isn't innocent either. But the thing that is so offensive to the president that has started this attack on the Latin American community is the fact that they are just wanting a better life, and they are po- and they're not taking those you know CEO jobs that everyone's coveting. They're coming here to work hard. They're coming here to you know try and figure things out. There was nothing so overtly offensive that they did that would cause him to strike back like this. I mean, Rich Rubino, all this coming into consideration, does, I mean, does part of the blame, and I'm going to get hammered on social media for saying this, but is there part of the blame that lays at the feet of President Trump? Probably. I think that basically, in my, my estimation, Donald Trump is basically a chameleon. I don't think he, it's not necessarily anything he believes. He's simply going back to 2015. He saw, he saw a vacuum. 
and uh, the politics always abhors a vacuum. So he, he, I don't, I mean, you know, go, go back to what he was saying in 2000 when he was thinking of running for president in the Reform Party ticket. He was basically a centrist. He said that the party nominates Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan is basically a Hitler lover. He basically said that the party was even too extreme on the issue of immigration. He saw a vacuum and began with the birther movement. He saw a vacuum of ethno-nationalism, first of all, and he saw that, you know, people, he saw that there were a lot of folks in the country who saw that they were being left behind both economically and culturally. And he saw that there was an opening there, and he thought he, and there were no other candidate was willing to speak to it. And he said, I'm going to essentially speak to these people. First of all, there, it was the birther movement. Then in 2015, when he announced his candidacy, he said about 3% in the polls in the Republican Party. Most people thought that he, only, he was just running to, to Sensi for publicity for himself. The ratings were down on The Apprentice. But he comes in there and he talks about, you know, he talks about how the Mexicans aren't sending over their best. They're sending over, they're not sending you, you, and you. And he's pointing to people and he says they're murderers and rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Um, but then I think he's, he, so a lot of these folks that are looking at it, you know, they talk about, for example, yeah, he brings up the issue of trade. And that's something that's kind of a populist issue. And he talks about a lot of these people are afraid that their jobs are being lost. A lot of these people, particularly in the industrial Midwest. And then he also talks about the issue of immigration. He says these immigrants are essentially taking your jobs. But you know what? What he does is, is dog whistle politics. He's not going to he's not going to overt, overtly come out and say something that is and say that it's racist. He's always going to say that but, there's something else. But behind Rich, it. Rich, let me jump in here real quick. I mean, th- this what this guy wrote in his manifesto and published on the web. Yeah. This was not answering to a dog whistle. This is not something no, he, you do because you get the hint. Wink, wink, nod, nod. This was a th- this guy took. The words of President Trump, uh, words like, we are under assault, our nation is under attack, and this guy took it as marching orders from his commander-in-chief to move forward and fight back in his mind. Dog whistle's one thing, but, I mean, can it be argued that this is not a situation where the, 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 the Trump administration has to realize that uh, you know, this was a result of direct words coming out of the president's mouth and Be out of the- Be careful here. What? Be careful. Why? You're ascribing a one-to-one connection here, and right. I think what the right. rest of us are trying to do is say, he may well have contributed, but you're you're now basically saying the commander-in-chief is giving these guys orders and they're following the orders, and I say, I don't think we know that. I don't think you should say that. I think that's overstating what the, we man, know the the, the, manifest, the way the the way this shooter took it, I, I'm saying we don't the way, know the we, manifest he was, was a crazy clear. guy. If it wasn't Donald Trump, he probably would have found this somewhere on social media. He would have found a similar argument to ascribe. He would have ascribed. He would have ascribed this from somebody else. I mean, there are plenty of people even before Donald Trump that were making this argument and they're doing it in a lot more blatant terms. What Donald Trump does is he kind of couches it. He says, "Well, I'm, when he talks about immigrants, he says, well, I'm only talking about illegal immigrants. I'm talking, you know, he, he makes he." He 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 calculates it in rhetoric that he can always kind of save himself and say that's not exactly what I meant. But it's it, you know it's wink wink nod nod just like the segregationists in the '60s never said they were directly racist. They said, well, I just believe in separate but equal. I think that both black people and white people are equal. We just need to have separate facilities, and that basically works out fine in the South. I mean, it's the same thing that Donald Trump is doing. He can always save himself. He's never going to use overt racial rhetoric. He's like, people would ask him, you know, if, that, if I were to ask him, i say, are all people created equal? Do you believe all people are equal? He's going to say, oh, absolutely. And he's going to say, I just wish that they would all just come over. Uh, they would all come over legally. And they say, you know, the problem is more this is more the economic situation. You know, we can't handle all these people. And he, as he likes to say, you know, right. if there's no border, there's no nation. So, I mean, I don't, but in, ter- but in, in terms of this shooter specifically, 
I mean, he is in some respects an ideologist. And, you know, that's where the mental illness thing, I think that's where the mental illness thing is really superseded because he has a specific agenda and it's political. He's not just doing this because his mind is telling him to, you know, is telling him to do this for other reasons. I think he has a specific, specific motive to do this. And there have been plenty of, there was plenty of literature, you know, there's Stormtrooper, there's, I mean, the KKK is a website. There's plenty of literature on the internet that this person would have found. There are plenty of people who have like mind, who are like-minded, some of whom are directly say what Donald Trump implies. And he would have just gone. He would have gotten that information from them. Right. You know. You know. There's so. There's so much information just available to people. And the fact that Donald, Donald Trump, what he's doing is he's just making it easier, and he's getting like-minded people to say, "Yeah, that guy's saying exactly what I'm saying." And what they're really afraid right. of is by 2050, the United States is going to be a majority-minority nation, and they believe that eventually the Democrats will. The Democrats will play into will play into all this to get the Latino vote, and eventually there will be no conservatism in the nation. Right. I, mean, I talk to people who right. really believe this, and some of these are people who come off as very intellectual. You know, they're they have Ivy League grads, and they say this in a very intellectual tone that we have to do something about this. But now, because of Donald Trump, they can say it, and they don't. And there's not going to be okay. as many repercussions okay. because it's become part of the establishment mainstream. Right, Dan Lipner. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, um, but let's start with a crazy statistic that both the New York Times and Washington Post published, um, a correlation, now correlation is not necessarily causation, but a crazy bit of correlation between the rise of of racially motivated crimes, uh, meaning hate crimes, uh, in places where Donald Trump had rallies. And it's an excess of a 200% increase after Donald Trump holds a rally someplace. Um, yeah, that's interesting and disturbing. Um, as far as the language he uses, the skirting the 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 edges of of uh, racial warfare, for lack of a better phrase, the being invaded by those people, whatever those people might be at the time, uh, whether or not it's brown people, Muslim people, insert whatever the other is that Donald Trump uses to demonize, um, the invasion is not a gentle term. Invasion is... That's not a dog whistle. It's No, it's not a dog whistle. It's a pretty overt statement. We invaded Iraq... We invaded Afghanistan. This is something that's a military action. And to the lunatic fringe that is heavily armed, um, as has, I've said this on the show many times, and now finally uh, mainstream media is beginning to to use those lines. I wish I could c- claim credit for it, but I don't think we have that many listeners that there are more so guns. There are more guns than people in this country. So the idea that this not just it's not dog whistle, it's overt statements to some of those people who are armed, who feel this kind of animus and the president taking no responsibility whatsoever for his language that motivates these folks to take the additional step from just listening to a podcast or or a a a narrow piece of right wing radio or even Fox News to to have those folks take the additional step toward action is an amazing thing. Also, it was it came out that the FBI released numbers that traditionally these kind of the the uh, white nationalist hate crimes traditionally only happen under democratic administrations when the those aggrieved white males feel like they are out of control. This is the first time in I believe 20 some odd years uh, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but they said this is the first time they're seeing it under a Republican administration because Arguably, this president is fanning those flames, telling folks in 
in somewhat veiled language. I'm unwilling to say it's a dog whistle. It's veiled language but, that they are under assault, but, that they, they need to respond. And should we be surprised that somebody is responding? Richard Bino. You know, I was just going to say a lot of this stuff, and you talk about a Democratic administration, I go right back to the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. And this was certainly before the Internet when people were literally getting their messages. These folks getting their messages from shortwave radio. And a lot of that, I mean, Timothy McVeigh, for example, he was at, he actually went down to Waco, Texas, and saw what was and saw what was going on, and that's what galvanized him. It was Waco, it was Ruby Ridge in Idaho. They thought that the government. I mean, this was a this was a case. Where they thought the government was essentially out of control. They call them, you know, jackbooted thugs, and that's what led to some of these movements, the kind of these white movements and that you know white supremacist movements and that white Christians, I guess. And that's what led to what happened in Oklahoma City. And then you had Bill Clinton come on and say, "You can't hate your government." And say that you're still a, and say that you're still a patriot. But for them, you know, they believe they in their in their mindset, they viewed Waco as a direct insult. They thought that the Ameri- they thought that the Justice Department or Janet Reno directly went in and wanted to kill a, a bunch of white people. And that's essentially the argument that they make. But it, you're right. It does go back. Also worth noted, G. Gordon Liddy's radio show, he, he specifically said, if you see the government agents on your doorstep, shoot them in the head. Yeah, I, I mean, but 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 here here's what scares me more than anything. Now, I mean, you bring up Timothy McVeigh. They didn't have the internet back then. That was all done through uh, these alternative newspapers, shortwave shortwave radios, uh, ma- you know, mailings, stuff like that. Uh, the 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 ability for multi the ability for Social media and electronic media, the access to it makes it that more prevalent. You know, I mean, if you if if there if people are going to sit there and watch and listen to the words of whoever leader they get their marching orders from and they go on the Internet and are able to access a lot of this alternative uh, you know, defending white nation stuff that the alt right puts out. You know, the access to it means that th- th- we're entering a whole different world as far as ease of access to weaponry, the the um the access to the information to drive somebody to do this, and it, it it's almost easier for them. To make their statement, to make their statement global, I mean, if this guy literally surrendered to police without firing a shot at police, and when I talked to somebody at the Department of Justice, I asked them, "Does that make sense?" Their answer to me is yes. Why? Because this guy wants to make his argument known. This guy wants to be the new face. He wants to be the new Timothy McVeigh. For the assault on brown people, the assault on the American white culture. You know, it go back to Charlottesville, and at Charlottesville, when you had people in the open, you know, not wearing, you know, not wearing hoods like the KKK in the open, um, talking, talking about saying, you know, the thing, Jews will not replace us. What they're talking about, and this goes to what's happening, their argument about what's happening in 2015. We also can't the leave off the shooting they, at the at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. as well. Yeah. Yep. yep absolutely. They really they these people believe that there is a genocide against white people and they believe that they're on the front lines and if they don't do something that essentially the white the white the white race is going to be wiped out. Some of them think their white people are going to be put in concentration camps. I mean, that's the mentality 
that these people are getting are getting. And this is, I think, more radical than anything that Donald Trump is saying. But what Donald Trump is doing is he's essentially saying, you know, I'm somewhat sympathetic to some of this. And then they just take it to the extreme. But, you know, these people really believe that they're warriors against genocide and that the genocide is occurring against white people in this country. And then if they don't do something, they're literally either going to be the race that the white race is going to be wiped out or they're going to be put into concentration camps. And the question is, you know, how do you argue with somebody who really, you know, legitimately is willing to die for that for that belief? Alan, more than Lord I mean, Chavez. It's, it's, it's no different. It's no different than it's no different than you know Al Qaeda's right. belief in the in the caliphate. It's just in a different form. Yeah, Alan, more than Lord I Chavez. I mean, we're in the, we're in this this turbulent, chaotic, ugly environment right now, and it and 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 the the right way to break through, and the unlikely way to break through is to have a president who understands the import of his words, takes it seriously, listens to some people around him who do comprehend but have no real impact, and and tries to change the narrative. I mean, the irony with this president is, given the fact that, that a majority of the country would like to have better control of our borders— but they would also like to to take that control in a humane, transparent, um, law uh, law abiding way. But they would like somebody who 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 would talk about it. And we've had presidents who did. Barack Obama, under his administration, deported more than three million people, and. Obama would talk about it. He would say, you can't just come here and show up and assume you're going to be able to stay. We've got rules of law. We've got procedures and processes. Um, and he, but he showed compassion. He didn't, he, he didn't demonize. He didn't uh, the the people coming across. He didn't call them enemies. He didn't make he it didn't a call spectacle them criminals. Of the he didn't call them rapists. He said... We we have these processes and procedures. We're proud of our history. We take the lead in setting an example around the world for refugees, for immigration. Our country is stronger for it. This president, only every now and then because he he agrees under whatever pressure to read words put in front of him, but he doesn't say them with feeling. He doesn't follow it up. He doesn't believe it in his gut. And we're all suffering from uh, from that. And the people who are out there who have been who have been seething and fearful and talking among themselves, yes, are in fact encouraged to let those feelings out. And sometimes, those feelings, we, we we don't know whether whether this guy in El Paso would have done this without the change in 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 the rhetoric, the the the, the words of this president, words of others, the social media, access to all these views. I mean, it's a different environment, and and it all came together in some sort of a perfect storm for this guy. To get to get his uh, get his weapons, case the Walmart before he went and back out to his car and returned with his weapons um, and 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 open fire. And, and, and let, let's be clear about one thing: is this Walmart in particular, this shopping area in particular in El Paso, is literally three and a half four miles away from the border. 
This is largely known, this Walmart in particular, is largely known as the Juarez Walmart. A lot of Mexican citizens come across the border to shop at that Walmart, and they go back to their residences in Juarez. Yes, it, 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 this it is, is unclear that this was the this was the target, the defined target, but the the shooter did drive across the state of Texas yeah. to right. get there to get to El Paso. Miles, nine right? hours, yep. nine hours. But what I, what I'm getting at is that you know, regardless, I mean, if you drive to El Paso and you're going to do a mass shooting, you're doing it for a large reason. That is to target Latinos. It is a largely Latino populace in El Paso. This Walmart, whether it was accidental or he researched it, he hit, in his mind, jackpot by hitting both Mexican residents, U.S. US residents, U.S. citizens of Mexican descent and actual Mexican residents, causing even to the point where the foreign minister in Mexico is now putting up travel warnings into the United States because of this. Well, not just the foreign minister of Mexico. Um, travel travel notices uh, are showing up all over the world for for people planning to come to the U.S. And they're using uh, gun violence as the reason. Yeah, that, I mean that that's insane. Which is another interesting point. If you um, looked at the news coverage around the world on Sunday and even on Monday. Essentially, everyone's saying like, wow, the U.S. has a real white nationalist problem. Like all of a sudden, the entire world is definitely taking note of this. They have been pretty much since, I don't know, let's say the 2016 election. But all of them are now putting it in writing. A lot of them, I shouldn't say all of them, are putting it in writing saying like, guys, the U.S. is losing its effing mind. But What is going on? I mean, you're talking about like Baltic states. Yeah. You're talking about All those non-shitful countries. But you're talking about countries that have that have had for a while nationalistic problems and they're going, whoa, the U.S. has got a real problem. Don't go there. I mean, we're in bizarre world right now. Pretty much. I mean, it is. So uh, my mom is Danish uh, and my, I have family in Denmark and Europe, different from the United States. These are places where people look like each other for the last ooh, millennia or two. Um Versus the United States, we are a country of immigrants. Uh, I have my relatives in Denmark are of Indian descent, um, so they actually encountered some some uh, racial animus, but nothing like the kind of things that we're dealing with here. And arguably, it would be more understandable in Europe having again a, a couple millennia of people just looking like themselves versus a country like ours, which is simply not the case. There is no history of that in this country unless you go back to the Native Americans. That's the only time you get that. So it it is challenging and it is curious that those who choose to give shelter, um, rhetorical or otherwise, to the language of hate and whether or not it's the retweeting of questionable, and I use that phrase generously, uh, questionable uh, items, whether or not it has things with uh, Stars of David on it or whether or not it, there are other things saying, you know, the caravan of invaders that mysteriously never quite show up. Um, what is it that when can you actually say, yeah, you know, you're actually fanning the flames, even though you're not saying it, you are giving aid and you're not going out of your way to discredit 
some of the nonsense that is coming from the, the, the crazy wings. If you're wrapping your arms around it or at least saying, oh, yeah, you know, those guys aren't so bad, except when they do something really bad. And even then, you don't distance yourself that far from it. Yeah, his, uh, his statement yesterday wasn't wildly like, I can't believe it. I'm so sorrowful. Similar to what Alan said, like someone convinced him to say a few words in a very like disingenuous way. And whoever and whoever whoever and by convinced, the way also said it was in Toledo. Look, I don't want to jump on that. But, but I will say this, though, where the president if the president the thinks states this who's, who, who is a senior citizen is confusing a shooting a, a city wildly off. Well, then you better talk about what Joe, Joe Biden, Biden said. said, too. Don't get, you know, don't, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw rocks at look, I'm not going to throw rocks at the president for that. What I am going to throw rocks at is I am going to tell the president that it, if you're going to blame this on video games, you're going to blame what happened in El Paso and Dayton on video games. That's your argument. You got a bigger Problem. You've got a bigger reality check problem there is than no we're da- giving you there credit for. There is no for. data that supports that. Let's Zero. be clear. Zero. If it were blamed on, if video games were the cause, we would have shootings everywhere constantly. In the world. There are video games literally around the world. They're all the same. There is right. a reason right. that Co- esports y- young is Korean chil- I mean, Young Korean children play video games wildly in excess of what anyone else yes. in the country, the United North, States does. There is no problem like this North there. Korean children play video games where they're South given Korean. South no, Korean. no, no, no. North Korean oh, children right. have video games where they are given machine guns and they shoot Americans. And we don't hear of mass shootings in North Korea. We don't hear it in South Korea. Kevin McCarthy, the uh, House Minority Leader from California, basically said the same thing a few days earlier. When they asked him what it was, he said, we'll really need to do something about these video games. And then you saw Donald Trump kind of follow up on that. I think that somebody's telling him this is what you have to say, essentially, is the reason. And then people are going to think. And then he, what he wants is people persuadable to think, well, that must be what that must be what it is. It must be these video games. These video games are so violent. We have to. We have to regulate these video games, and then you kind of get off message, and you're not talking about specifically Donald Trump. You're not talking about white nationalism. You're not talking about ethnocentrism. You're talking not even talking about firearms. You're talking about these video games, and the conversation changes, and immediately the and, conversation well, the moves president, to, The president know, did explicitly say it wasn't the fault of the guns. No, 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 no. You know, you know what? Here's they the thing. Is, the this, is, this is what I want to tell people. Everybody that comes to me with that Second Amendment gun rights bullshit that come back and they say, well— Guns don't kill people. People kill people. You know what kills a shitload of people? A- AR-15s and AK-47s. Don't tell me. If somebody wants to kill somebody, yes, they'll find a way. But you know what kills a crapload of people in a short amount of time? Tactical assault rifles. Don't come to me with this guns kill. You know, guns don't kill people. That's, that, 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 that dog just don't hunt. I'm sorry. Uh, but the question now, Alan, is does the Republican Party now have enough bodies on the ground to at least stand up to the gun rights vo- lobby? Well, sad to say, it it really depends on the president. Um, uh, I don't see the Congress getting out front of the president and 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 having to 
to overcome resistance that one might expect from him. Having said that, it was the president who, before he made his prepared speech, uh, tweeted out, we need to come together and have strong background checks. Now, that was the phrase, strong background checks. What, what, what he presumably meant was stronger. Or right. close some loopholes it, because strong made no sense in the in that context. That was not part of his formal remarks. Having said that, there are Republicans who do believe that there are some changes that should be made, not because they're going to solve the problem in a big way, but because they would not. They, a they don't want to lose. In particular, I don't mean to overly politicize this because I think there's there's differences of opinion on what does or does not make sense. But they're not stupid, and they realize that they don't want to they don't want to lose suburban women, for example, at an even higher rate than they already are, um, because they they rely on uh, on, (laughs) there's a big fight over suburban women right now they they did remarkably well um uh, two and a half years ago um and and didn't do very well at all uh last november um so from a pure political standpoint this becomes over time a bigger and bigger loser on the one hand on the other hand most of the people who feel the strongest about second amendment particularly Banning, for example, so so about something in the neighborhood of ninety percent want to want to toughen background checks. Basically, want universal background checks. Want to close the so-called gun, gun show, show loophole and 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 the 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 internet uh, sales loopholes. Um, it's less clear on on assault weapon ban. Uh, it's in the seventy five range, which is That's a still huge three quarters ma- of the population. It's three quarters of the population, but that twenty five percent of holdouts um, is is uh, skews very heavily Republican. Okay, but and, me, and a lot of those are one issue voters. All right, but, but so, let me let me put this out there, Alan. Let yeah. me ask you this question: There is a bipartisan sensible gun control measure that has passed through the House and now sits on Mitch McConnell's desk for floor votes. So I don't I don't remember what all is in that bill and I don't know what the measure measuring stick of bipartisan is and it's important to look at that. But but everyone loves to blame Mitch McConnell. What Mitch McConnell does is very carefully and effectively take the temperature of his members. This is not this. Mitch McConnell is not the Senate version of Donald Trump. Donald Trump does what he wants. He listens to people. He changes his mind. He goes this way. He goes that way. But isn't and, there an, and, and then, an expectation and, that Mitch McConnell and, is an adult in the room? That he's got they, enough they don't, longevity? Don't, and- don't patronize him, Justin. That it, it, you know he is there to represent and lead. His very disparate group of 53 Republicans, he pushes, he nudges, he talks. Where he is suggests, he leading them on this issue? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but uh, we, uh, le- but, leadership would argue, would argue. I mean, we see Chuck Schumer take this take the stage. We saw 
Chuck Schumer's predecessor, uh, Harry Reid, take the stage we've, to speak we've out on seen, things. We've seen Nancy Pelosi. We've seen Nancy Pelosi speak We watch these people take the stage in ways that they know their, their, their troops will follow. And they don't they're not getting way out in front of their troops um they know their they they know their troops mitch mcconnell knows his troops i mean get angry at republicans get angry at republicans in the senate it's it's not it's not Mitch but McConnell. isn't there a responsibility as the majority leader to drive the message? A well, profile who, in courage is not when you know you're going to win. It's when you know this the fight is worth losing. Mitch McConnell, too, you have to look at his um, political prospects at home. He's up for re-election in Kentucky. He's probably the most vulnerable Republican uh, running this cycle. He's the most unpopular senator in the entire country in their home state. And he needs the support of every gun owner in Kentucky. And if he shows any sign whatsoever of trying to of trying to propitiate, you know, the center of or being to being perceived as compromising what he does not want. He doesn't want a negative backlash from the National Rifle Association. Um, you know, that's what it, I mean, he has to keep I me. Mean, Mitch McConnell is about as pure of a politician as you can get. He will basically do anything, I think, to essentially to win this election, to, to stay, stay as a majority leader. And this idea that some people have that he's going to, you know, call a special session to deal with this. I mean, for Mitch McConnell to do that, I think that would just be that would be, you know, I don't I don't see I don't see why Mitch McConnell would do that for his, for his personal political interests. I just don't see, you know, I think it's an argument Chuck Schumer is probably making to try to discredit him for his own reelection kid. But, you know, with Mitch McConnell up for reelection. I don't see but, but wait a minute. But can it be argued right now, Lord Chavez, that, that that Mitch McConnell is being chased by a ghost that the NRA just at with all the scandals, with all the shakeups, with all. Uh, with all of the happenings and the media coverage that's happened to the NRA, that they are in fact now not the same political beast and animal that should worry Mitch McConnell. He could stand up to them. I don't think that he's going to stay. I don't think he would stand up to the NRA. I think he definitely, while yes, he is amazing at reading the room. He is good at giving his soldiers uh, their marching orders. I don't think he is the type that's going to, uh, shift the game plan. He's not one to say like, oh, this was working in the past, but now it might not be working. I'm going to go away from that. He, again, he is in a very red state that Kentucky is one of the places where rural district, yes, there is Louisville and there is Frankfurt, but that is it. Outside of that, it is blood red the whole way through. And pretty much every one of those homes probably owns at least one to two guns. And they have that same mentality of out of my cold, dead, clammy hands, I think Charlton Heston said so many years ago. I don't think you use the word clammy. Or whatever but... <laughs> it is. Out of my cold, dead hands, whatever. Um, but I don't think he's going to be the one that's going to stand up to the NRA. I don't think anyone of that generation is right. going to be the one that stands up to the NRA. I think it's going to be someone right. of kind of a new We've, Justin color. does make a good point, though. The NRA has problems, and it's unclear whether or not those problems are going to lead to political dysfunction this next cycle. It yeah. does, but they're they're scrappy, and they will their followers are they're not scrappy. They have a ton of money. They have a ton of money, but they're <laughs> the people who are card carrying NRA members are passionate about this. Essentially, they are the thing that, or they are the people that Alan mentioned. They are one issue voters. They want actually, to keep that, their that, guns. That, that actually slightly misstates it. So even background checks and things, the NRA, most of the NRA's membership is actually represented by people who are who most of us wouldn't have issues with actual hunters that Correct. actual or or, or or some other shooting sportsmen that actually respect their their weapons. And also, most NRA folks would say. 
yeah, assault weapons, not, not so much. Yeah. Um, right, and but, all of those people would probably pass the background checks, but they're looking at it from a, not everyone is a constitutional scholar and looking at how the Second Amendment has evolved over right. time and how it can be differently <clears throat> interpreted. They're just seeing right to bear arms. They're not thinking about uh, you know defending itself against the government. They're not thinking about the changes in technology where it used to take four minutes to load your gun or whatever it was. You know, they're looking at this and just seeing right to bear arms. Not everyone's looking into it that is yeah. necessary. It's not the government's right to tell me what arms yeah. I can bear if I want to own a 50 caliber assault rifle, that's my choice. Well, and that's where the I I've had these debates with folks and the just and let's more on the side of wanting to understand how they think. And I've asked the question, so can you have a bazooka? Can you have a howitzer? Can where is the line of the what, what kind of armaments you are allowed and what, to And what's keep? the argument that they all give you is because I have the right to have arms that will stand up against a tyrannical government. Right. And that's where the breakdown begins to occur pretty quickly. So the lunatic folks are the folks who think that whatever the highest caliber weaponry you can possibly get your hands on, that's what the Second Amendment stands for. Right. Um, the more rational folks uh, are the hunting and fishing or the home protection, which I also personally don't believe that's what the Second Amendment stands for. But that's where the argument lies. The crazies and are the ones who think that you can have something as big as you want. If you want to have a bazooka, you should be allowed to have a bazooka. Right. Uh, we got two minutes left. I want to give last word to Alan. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, to to remind everybody this whole notion about Mitch McConnell. Why doesn't he lead? He's a coward. Everything he does Maybe is poli a political calculus. Um, gives marching orders. Some of these phrases, in my mind, completely misunderstands the role of the majority leader of the Senate, who serves his membership and they have a lot more independence than than do the members of the majority in the house um, they have six-year terms they know their states they have an enormous amount of independence if people wanted Mitch McConnell to be more assertive here uh, and some no doubt do they don't go public they go quiet they talk they they're constantly in touch and his his job is not to it in his in his view and in the view of the majority leaders I've observed and I've seen some very up, up very close. It's lead, but don't get too far out front of your members, um, or you won't be the leader anymore. You guide, you help. It's they talk about herding cats, and in the Senate, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. You've got this president who's got all of this. This influence and this power, which we've all, which which scares the hell out of all of us, um, that he has that 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 he has to pay attention to. If if his members wanted this to happen, we would be hearing about it. Now, what we're not hearing about is what they are saying to him, and we may in fact be seeing something, you know. When, when when they reconvene, they're not going to come back. They're not going to Nobody back. wants to do that, right. Republicans or right. Democrats. The Democrats want to talk about it, but they all have plans, right. and they I'm, don't want to interrupt. I'm going to let that, I'm gonna let that be the last word. I'm going to let that be the last word. Obviously, this has been a tough show. I hate doing these shows. I like it when we talk about stuff when we can, you know, get bubbly and, and have a lot, you know, laughter, but I hate, we have to do these shows. And I just hope to God that I don't have to do this again. And I, I don't, 
I don't, and I'm not going to read the names. We'll post them on on our on our on our Facebook account. But I, I it, it, this has got to end. This has got to stop. It's it's you know the, the story. When you hear the story of a 25 year old mother shielding her baby from the gunfire, and both the mother and father killed, two month old baby. The child was crazy. Medics, when medics. Got to the baby, it was covered in the blood of the mother. Nobody should have to see that. No, we, we shouldn't have to go through this. It's got to stop. Anyway, hopefully somebody will have some political coverage. On 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 behalf of Lord Chavez, uh, Dan Lipner, Alan Moore, Rich Rubino, uh, thanks for uh, being patient with us and uh, flying flying with us kind of solo on this one. Rob, the engineer, Eric, uh, the producer, thank you. We'll see you next episode of Backroom Politics. Have a great week, America.